Well, good morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here and glad you are uh, with us this morning and that uh, you're enduring no AC and that you've either stayed in town or came back in town uh, for this Sunday on the July 4th weekend. Uh, we are continuing in our series this morning. Uh, we started a series this summer, Genesis chapters 12 through 36, titled this sermon series, Rooted, the Foundations of Our Faith. Uh, and we have been looking at the life of Abraham, uh, and we are going to end uh, here in Abraham as we focus on Isaac and Jacob for the rest of the summer. But this morning we are looking uh, at Abraham. And the passage that we're looking at is a very beautiful passage. It's also mind-blowing, possibly confusing, and a little troubling. And so I'm going to read our passage for us and ask you to stand as we read God's word together in Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. You will leave this place this morning believing that this is a beautiful, beautiful passage. But if you're honest, and when people are honest as they read this passage, there can be some major red flags that are going off. Uh, there can be warning detectors going off as we just read that. Something seems wrong. Would God really ask someone to sacrifice their child? Is God some kind of moral monster? Is he a God that I can really trust? Right? Wherever you are this morning, extremely devout as a follower of Jesus, or you're skeptical and searching, this passage makes all of us ask questions. And so this morning, we're going to look at three different questions. Does God test? What is the purpose of God's test? How do we pass God's test? That's what we're going to look at. Miss Nolan, she was my fifth grade teacher at a Catholic elementary school. Miss Nolan was tough. She was strict to the point that she would not let us walk in front of her desk. Every student had to go around Miss Nolan's desk. She was mean, and, uh, and, but she was teaching us respect. She was teaching us how to grow up on top of the knowledge that we were learning in class. 
And she was an extremely difficult test giver. Probably one of the most difficult test givers that I've ever had. And at the start of my fifth grade year, I was not a fan of Miss Nolan. <laughs> she was strict, mean, her tests were outright hard. But by the end of the year, I loved Miss Nolan. She's still one of the, my favorite teachers I've ever had. Because I saw that she had a purpose for everything she did. Her difficult testing was not so that we would fail, but so that we would improve and we'd grow. She was a great teacher. Now, I did have some teachers, in college especially, uh, that would give tests that were extremely hard, all for the sake of setting a scale. Uh, setting a scale is when uh, a teacher has a certain percentage of the class that gets A's and then a certain percentage of the class that gets D's and F's. And I think my mic just went out. Did it go out? Am I still on? Okay. Uh, so a certain percentage of the class that had A's, then a certain percentage of the class that had D's and F's. That's what setting a scale looks like. A, a teacher that does this wants a certain percentage of their class to fail. So in my first question, does God test, I want to be really clear that God does not test like the teacher that wants people to fail. I would actually not call that testing, but more temptation. And temptation can feel like a test, but its goal is failure. Its goal is to tear someone down, right? The temptation to drink more alcohol, the temptation to lust, the temptation for greed, the temptation for pride. It feels like a test. But the one who gives it is not God, it's the devil. And the enemy's goal is to always tear down. See, God is not a God who tempts us. The New Testament book of James, James chapter 1, verse 13, says that God is not a God who tempts. Testing, in the way that I'm talking about this morning, has the goal to strengthen and grow a person. So, does God test? Yes if you mean it in this way. That's how our passage started in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. Now, a key passage for us to understand God who tests is the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. This is Moses speaking to the children in the wilderness, Moses' last sermon, and this is what Moses says. And you shall remember... The whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Testing you to know what was in your heart. And this testing is often accompanied by difficulty or hardship. That's what one scholar, Gordon Wenham, says. Testing shows what someone is really like, and it generally involves Difficulty or hardship. The use of the term here, Wenham says in Genesis, hints that Abraham will face some great difficulty, but that he will ultimately benefit from it. If you've heard the old saying, true character is revealed in the choices that a person makes under pressure. Have you heard that? How many of you have heard that saying? True character is revealed in the choices that a person makes under pressure. Difficult circumstances, difficult decisions often reveals a person's character or what is really in a person's heart. Pressure pushes out that which is already inside. 
So God tests to know what's in a person's heart, to push out that which is true of our hearts and of our character. Hypothetical situation here. If I come home at the end of the day and Rachel, my wife, starts asking me to do things around the house, Henry is crying, he wants food immediately, and I get angry, I get irritated, and what I might want to say is, well, if Rachel would just give me some time to adjust to being home, if Henry would just stop crying, I wouldn't get angry, I wouldn't get irritated. When the reality is that the anger and the irritation and the selfishness that is already in my heart is being revealed. The circumstances and the pressure of the situation is actually pushing out that which is true of my heart. So does God test us? Yes. When the circumstances are difficult and we're feeling these differing pressures, we are tempted to blame it on the circumstances or to blame it on the pressure. But what God wants to do is reveal what is true of our hearts. That's what he's doing here with Abraham. He is coming after Abraham's heart, so he tests Abraham. And that leads to the next question that we're asking this morning. What is the purpose of God's test? What's the purpose? Let me remind you where we are in the life of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah have been called out by God with their whole family to follow God, from their whole family to follow God to the land that he would show them, Genesis chapter 12. God then promises to them that their descendants will be as numerous as the stars. They're going to have tons and tons of children, promises. And so they wait, and they wait, and there's nothing. So they take Hagar, Sarah's servant, in Genesis chapter 16, and Abraham sleeps with Hagar, and they have Ishmael. But God says that Ishmael is not the promised child that he has been saying would provide. So they keep waiting and waiting, and God promises again. And even in Abraham and Sarah's old age, well past childbearing years, God promises he will give them a child. Both Abraham and Sarah laugh. They laugh. They think, no way this is going to happen. No way God is going to provide a child for us in our years, in our 90s. Well, then God blesses them. He's faithful to his promise, and he provides Isaac, whose name means laughter. They laughed at God, but now God has been faithful and filled them with laughter and joy in the provision of Isaac. And now, Genesis chapter 22, God tells Abraham in verses 1 to 2, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Go to the land of Moriah, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall tell you. Now here's where we have to be honest. This passage is extremely difficult. What is God doing here? What's God doing with Abraham? God is telling Abraham to sacrifice his only son. And when you read that, you have to ask the question, is God cruel? I mean, what kind of God would ask that? And this is where many philosophers have called the God of the Bible a moral monster. So I have to say here that nowhere else in the Bible does God command child sacrifice. In fact, for Israel in the ancient Near East, families offered their firstborn unto God by sacrificing an animal. 
And this was the way that the family would pay their debt to God. And it was their way of saying to God that our family, our firstborn, our heritage, all of it belongs to you, God. So God calls Abraham to sacrifice his firstborn. But Abraham does not know what God will do and how God will do it. This seems unreasonable. God asked Abraham to sacrifice the son that he has waited for years and years and years for. And doesn't this command from God contradict his promise to Abraham and Sarah? C.S. Lewis called this an apparent absurdity. This seems to nullify the promise that God has been given to Abraham, giving over and over to Abraham. I mean, can you imagine what it was like for Abraham and Isaac? They hear this command, and immediately Abraham rises early. They journey for three long days, having no idea what's going to happen. And then our passage makes it clear that this is his son, his only son whom he loves. Did you pick up? That's the refrain throughout. His son, his only son whom he loves. And then Isaac, a young boy, carries his own wood up the mountain. He asks his father a very innocent question. Father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the lamb? They both don't know what's going to happen. Herein lies the test. Will you obey God when it seems foolish? Will you obey God when it seems to go against what he has promised? For it's in those times, the difficult times, the unknown times, the times when it feels like God is calling you to do something unreasonable, where faith is produced. That's the purpose of God's testing, to produce in us faith. And faith is produced in the crucible of God's testing. And it can feel painful. It can seem unreasonable. And it can hurt. But ultimately, it produces faith. You see, God's not cruel. He's not mean. He's not the strict test giver watching for us to fail. God tests us. And the test can be painful. But the purpose is to produce in us what we need most which is faith. See, our son Henry, is he just turned one. And Henry has had many vaccination shots in his short one year of life. There has not been one single shot that Henry has received where he has smiled and then gave mom and dad a kiss and a hug afterwards. Not one single shot. Every time he gets a shot, it's pain. He turns red. He goes stiff. And these big alligator tears just start flowing. Rachel said after the first set of vaccination shots, the nurse had to turn to Rachel and go, can I just give you some time, just you two, because Rachel cried with our son because it hurt him so much. Why do we give shots to Henry? Because it makes him stronger. It makes him more healthy. It keeps him away from diseases. God's heart towards us is love. He knows that sometimes the most loving thing he can do is give us difficulty. And it can feel like excruciating tests so that 
we can come out on the other side stronger. And the strength is not in ourselves, but it's a strength that comes from faith in the Lord alone. Faith in the Lord only. See, true faith is trusting in God only. Not in order to get something from Him. Not in order to get the gifts, but it's trusting God only. And the way that God gets us to true faith in Him only is to take away all of our little onlys. Let me say that again. God gets us to trust Him only by taking away all of our little onlys. God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love. Isaac was Abraham's long sought after son. Isaac, years and years of hoping and praying by Abraham, and finally Isaac is born. Abraham gets to spend the last 14 years of his life watching his son Isaac grow up, falling more and more in love with his son every day. And now God commands Abraham to give up his only son. It's not the things in life that we know are bad, that we need to be most aware of. It's the good things that our heart can take and make our little onlys. It's the whispering statements like, if only I was married, or if only I had a child, if only I had some more money, if only our church was just a little bit bigger, Our good things can become Isaac's, and we become focused and driven to achieve it. So God tests us to remove and cleanse our hearts, to take away the things, even the good things, that our hearts might trust and hope in more than the Lord himself. The purpose of God testing is to remove what we think we need more than anything so that God can replace it with faith and the one that we need the most. Verses 8 to 12, I don't know if you picked up on it in the reading, are full of drama. You can feel the tension even as you read it. Verses 8 to 12. Isaac asks his father, Father, where is the lamb? And in verse 8, this beautiful picture of faith, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. That's faith. God will provide. So they arrive at the place, and Abraham builds an altar He lays Isaac, his only son, on the altar. Abraham reaches out his hand, takes the knife, and is about to lower his arm. And and just as he's about to lower his arm, the angel shouts, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy, for I know that you fear God. Abraham's been placed in the crucible, comes out with incredible faith, seen in his willingness to trust and obey God no matter what. True faith demands radical obedience. But how did Abraham do this? Which leads to our last question. How do we pass God's test? Verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes, looked, and behold, and behind him was a ram caught in the thicket. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And Tim Keller makes the point that Genesis 22 does not say that Abraham called the place the Lord will be obeyed, but the Lord will provide. Now Abraham did obey, 
but how and why are tied to his faith and the promise and goodness and trustworthiness of God. He knew that God would work it out. God gets the glory. The Lord will provide. So why, Christ Central Church? Why should you trust God? Why should you listen and follow and obey when it seems unreasonable? Why should you lean on him in difficult times and trust him in the crucible? Why should you trust him when it seems foolish? Because he is the Lord who provides. He provides, and it may not always be the way that we think it should be, but he has provided once and for all what we need most. Listen to this. Abraham took Isaac up to Mount Moriah. The only other time in the Bible that Mount Moriah is mentioned is in the book of Kings, when Solomon builds the temple, the temple for God on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, the hill just outside of Jerusalem. So Mount Moriah and the temple would be the place where God is experienced, where God is seen, where God is known, where in God's presence everything else becomes clear. And God, our Father, sent his Son, his only Son, whom he loved, to go up on a mountain outside of Jerusalem, and he was the child of promise, the one whom the New Testament starts off by listing his genealogy, the son of Abraham. Our father sent Jesus, and Jesus also grew up in a loving relationship with his father, carried his own wood up a mountain, did not open his mouth when his father asked him to be a sacrifice. And Jesus went up on the same mount as Abraham. But this time, the father did not provide a lamb. This time, the, the father did not relent. The nails were driven in. And the blood was shed because Jesus would be the lamb. The provision. The once and for all sacrifice. And if our God did not spare his own son, how will he not graciously give us all that we need? Amen? I'm not sure if you know who Stephen Curtis Chapman is. He's a Christian musician. About seven years ago, his eldest son was pulling out of the driveway, and his eldest son ran over the younger daughter and killed her. And as Stephen Curtis Chapman was pulling away with his dying daughter in the car, he looked at his son the one who had been driving, and he said, you know what, son? Dad loves you. I love you, son, no matter what has happened. That's amazing love. Jesus Christ gave his life because of us and for us. The sins of the world led him to be killed on the cross. We're guilty. We're all guilty. And the Father looks at us and says, I love you. I love you, my son and daughter. I love you no matter what. You see, Abraham called the mount, the Lord will provide. I heard a pastor friend of mine, Rankin Wilburn, say that this also could be translated, the Lord sees. Or this is the place where the Lord 
sees this mount. This mount's the place where the Lord sees you and provides for you. This mount is the place where the Lord and who he is becomes clear. This mount is the place of seeing and vision. For when you doubt and you feel like the tests of life are too hard and the circumstances are too difficult and you're clinging to all of your little onlys, look to the mount. This is the place where everything is put into perspective. The mount where the Lord Jesus took his cross and the Father poured out his wrath and his judgment on his only son so that we might have life and forgiveness and grace and peace. God provided what we needed most. So brothers and sisters, look to the cross. God has provided and he will provide. May we put our trust and faith in God the Father who did not spare his son, his only son, whom he loved. Let's pray.